Stages podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. I love summer. Everybody knows that when you walk on the beach, you feel better, but did you know why? Every time a wave splashes on the sand, it produces something called negative ions that elevate our mood. But sometimes we need a little more guidance than the sun, sand, and surf can provide. That's where BetterHelp can come in. A good therapist can guide us to better understanding life's ebbs and flows. BetterHelp offers customized online therapy, either on video or live phone chat sessions. You can speak with someone in under 48 hours and BetterHelp is more affordable than in-person therapy. Right now, Stages podcast members receive 10% off their first month with BetterHelp. So how about it? Get out in the sunshine, get some sand between your toes and give BetterHelp a call. So many of our listeners have called BetterHelp and we thank you because when you support our sponsors, you support Stages Podcast all while supporting your own well-being. So log on to BetterHelp, that's H-E-L-P slash Stages and start loving life. Hi, I'm Stephanie J. Block. And I'm Mary Lee Fairbanks. Welcome to Stages Podcast, where we're bringing creation and connection to center stage. Gorgeous creature, gorgeous creature. Good morning. Good morning. Well, first of all, nobody puts baby in a corner. Why are you in the sad white corner, Marty? Come oh my God. I'm, okay. So, it doesn't look bad. Okay. I'm no, not it doesn't. You're just too fabulous to put baby in the corner. Before we dive in, so Mary Lee, just to catch you up, uh, Stephanie J. Block is my girl and my favorite number to perform. And you've been tagged in so many videos and I'm so sorry. You always get tagged in these videos. I do a, a, a Stephanie J. Block mix. Yes, with I have Tony seen speech. it. It is my favorite number to do. Aww. I owe you so much on royalties. Um, <laughs> it's my favorite number to do. I always, whenever I have like a big special event, I always do it because I think it just makes people feel joyful. Aww, and I that love makes it. me happy. If I, I can't it. send Vivi to college, then I'll come and knock in and be like, mm. <laughs> so the back royalties I'm working out are, well, that's how you ended up on the show. She sent me the, the clip. Oh she my texted gosh. me that clip and she said, what do you think about having Marty on? And I was like, uh, yes, please. Among I, many just things. In, um, I just did it in Times Square for, uh, yes. Hi. Yeah. We have to stop talking. We've jumped yeah. right into the interview. Stop and I have it. to sorry, do it. Sorry, sorry. Stop. <laughs> Damn it, Marty. This glorious person approached me several years ago in Provincetown. They were joyous, vibrating with energy and zest for life. We chatted a little bit, took a selfie, and then continued on our separate ways. Soon after, I started following them on the socials, and I saw them making a huge impression on social media with their incredible drag artistry. In fact, back in spring of 2020, my daughter Vivian, who was four and a half at the time, would share virtual story time with Marty. Each story session was delivered with inclusivity, lessons on being a good person, and just plain fun. It was such a beautiful diversion from the crisis we were all living through. Their activism is tireless, and they are putting their beliefs and words into action, not only by serving on several boards for social justice issues, but they ran for public office in New York City in 2021. You can watch Marty on Fusion Television, a docuseries called Shade, Queens of New York, which they also produced, not only starred in. You can watch on the Marty Report on Logo, also on the Exchange Rate, the Build series, on and on and on. Marty has a podcast called Marty Talks. And... Their 2019 video of performing Baby Shark at a drag brunch went viral. And since career has avalanched, socialism and activism has avalanched. Also, <clears throat> side note, they've perfected lip syncing my Tony acceptance speech <laughs> and implementing it into their drag performance. And when Marty performed Bits of Me to open New York City's Pride Weekend last summer, Let's just say I felt like my career had peaked. I'm so excited to speak with, learn from, and be inspired by Marty Gould Cummings. Marty, can we have you to stage, please? Marty Gould Cummings to the stage. Yeah. Oh, 
I'm so excited to join both of you. Um, hi, first of all, I loved doing those story hours at the beginning of the pandemic. It was a welcome break from my campaign and the, the stress of the pandemic, but also I just think drag queen story hour is just the sweetest. It's so amazing. And now, you know, two years after the story times that, that you were talking about, these events are under under attack. They're, they're under, under attack. attack. And it's so crazy. I just saw this video this morning that the drag artists were putting on a family-friendly drag show and the Proud Boys showed up and were getting violent with people. And I and I I, I was so taken aback because their whole talking point is how drag is going to traumatize children, but showing up with weapons mm-hmm. and trying to beat people yeah. up as they go into it, that yeah. that is it's just so, I just think everything is so backwards right now. And it's, um, I have to tell you that happened in, in the town I live in this little town, they were having drag queen story hour at the local library and they were just going to implement this new series for the children in the town. And it was met literally with people carrying signs out front. Now, Way more people attended the event, so much so they had to move it to a larger venue to accommodate oh, all the people. Okay, that's come. great. But across the street, there were these people carrying signs. And I thought, aren't you embarrassed to be standing on the other side of that? That's street the problem. They're not, they're it's not incredible. They're not embarrassed. They've been emboldened. People are emboldened to be bigots now. And it's it's just so scary. If with going back to the brunches or the story time, do you think it is a lack of understanding of the artistry of drag and the statement of drag and the, um, to me, there is a joy and a peace that goes along with it. There is no violence. There is no trauma. It may open up a conversation and that I can only speak as a parent. Um, and that is something that the parent or parents can address and say, is it time to perhaps have a conversation about who this artist is and what they stand for and why they want to dress the way they want to dress? But that to me is not a traumatizing conversation if you as a parent are ready to have it and have found the right words and can meet it with kindness and grace and love. Then these beautiful children accept it as it is in the form in which it was meant to be brought to them. And it's the end of the end. It's a beautiful half hour or hour. And you go about your day with, with kindness and and beauty and joy. What the F? (laughs) Right. But you know, what's so crazy. It's like, of course, I'm not going to say, bring your child to my show. That's at 11 PM in a nightclub. (laughs) That's of course. No. But the talking points that these people are saying is like, that's what these kids are getting. And it's, it's not, we're artists, right? We're actors, we're adaptable. We know if we're doing a story time or a performance for children, it's going to be geared towards children. children. And if I'm doing a performance in a nightclub at 11 PM or midnight, it is going to be geared towards adults. Right. And I, you know, that baby shark moment that you mentioned was, mm-hmm. it was, it was like a turning point in my career, you know, I was doing a drag brunch, which is during the day. So in a restaurant. So of course, like kids can come to it because it's a restaurant at a bar. And this sweet little boy, Brody, uh, he, I think he was like, like three or four years old at the time. We do a thing called drag roulette at the end of the show where the audience can pick the songs and we have to just like lip sync them, you know, whether we know them or not. And it's really fun and silly and goofy. And and he was so cute and he, you know, yelled out <laughs> that he wanted baby shark. And I was like, oh, sure. Uh, okay, <laughs> let's do baby shark. Um, and did and, you even know what baby shark was? I mean, I, I knew it was a very annoying song, but I. <laughs> <laughs> it's um, true. You say the title and all of a sudden it's in loop in my head. Yeah. yeah Dang it. Right. It, it just gets. <laughs> Duck. It's such a, an earworm, but, but I was like, sure, I'll, I'll, I'll do it. And he was so sweet and he, he was so excited that, uh, his request was heard, uh, mm. and validated. And he was so excited to just Be seen. participate, you know, mm-hmm. and, and it was such a beautiful moment. And the, the, I put the video on my Twitter and it, it like 
blew. I went to my friend's house that day, actually for my friend's twin's first birthday uh, later that day. And uh, I was like, oh, this, this is, the, do your kids listen to Baby Shark? This funny thing happened at my brunch today, whatever. And, and I pulled it up and I was like, oh my gosh, it has 10,000 views. So, oh, that's weird. Uh, and then by the time I got home that night, it had like a half a million views or something. And I was like, whoa, so, oh, what's happening? But with it, with all the people sharing it and celebrating it, there was this onslaught of like horrible, you know, like when you read stuff and you're just like, I can't believe another human being is saying that to another mm human being. And so then I, I was like, Oh, let's use this as a teachable moment. And so I made this like whole music video, raised money for Ali Fournay center for homeless LGBTQ youth, like through this video. And it was really beautiful. Uh, and then AOC shared that video. So then I got a whole new slew of crazy hate. Uh, and then I got invited to do a Ted talk about cyberbullying and why drag is okay for kids. So then Monica Lewinsky shared that. So then I got a whole another slow of hate and I was like, oh my gosh. But- and I ask, how do you fortify yourself when that hate's coming at you? Yeah. How do you protect yourself with well, that? Well, you know, I'm very fortunate. I've been sober for 11 years. So I'm very fortunate to have that foundation. And with sobriety, the third step prayer is great. Mm-hmm. The St. Francis prayer is yeah. great. But I've had many moments where like I've sob on my bathroom floor. I try to be very aware of the fact that I am somebody who comes from a place of privilege, you know? And so if somebody's writing crap about me online because of this baby shark thing, there a lot of other queer people have it a lot worse. Like queer kids are more inclined to commit suicide or experience homelessness. Trans women, uh, black trans women are, are subject to violence and, and murder at alarming rates. And so what I experience with online stuff doesn't even compare to that. And that's where it like ties in. Okay. How can I be of service? I want to ask, when did you first adopt the art form of drag. And then I also want you to school us. I know in the community, there's drag queen, there's drag artists, but do you, does someone have to earn the right to call someone a drag queen or a drag daughter? And if you're a non-binary person, how's that relationship with the word queen or, or daughter oh, that has been so labeled female? <gasps> So that's three tiered questions. Sorry about that. Okay, let's get it. Let's <laughs> talk get, to get us. Into it. Yes. Um, <laughs> so question number one: How did I get into drag? Yes. I um I very accidentally became a drag queen. It was like it was not like on my vision board of things that I thought I was going to do in my life. Um, but I moved to New York when I was seventeen to be an actor and. Um, where were you from? I'm sorry to cut you off, but where were you oh, no. from? Uh, I'm from uh, Maryland. Little little farm. I went to Catholic school. I stood out like a sore thumb. Right. You know, and I had my Polly Pockets and Barbies. And, and did you come from out. a family that embraced all of that and encouraged you and supported you? Or did you come? No, my, was it a struggle? My, yeah, my family's accepted. I remember when I was a kid, my dad, like I would play dress up. Uh, my cousin Sophie would bring her big like bag full of dresses and costume jewelry and we would play dress up. And I remember my dad would get upset about that. Mm-hmm. Um, but as an adult, I look at it, my dad and I are very close. We certainly don't see eye to eye on everything, you know, but uh, we are very close and my parents are very accepting of, they come to my shows all the time. And But my dad, I think when I was growing up and when he would like get very upset that I was playing dress up, I now as an adult know, he wasn't upset that I was playing dress up. He was worried that I was going to get made fun of. I, 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 and I've had conversations with my dad about it in my grown up life where, you know, it's hard for a parent. Like I remember very distinctly being in the grocery store as a six year old, five or six years old. And a grown person called me the F word in front. Like they said, Oh, that kid's such a, you know, uh, and I of course didn't know what he was saying because I was very small but I, I can only imagine what that's like as a parent to know like, oh, my child is very obviously effeminate and is getting picked on in school. And now grown people are saying something. So I think that's why my dad was worried, reacted that way because he didn't it's want me to It's his fear. He yeah, wants to protect. Of course, he wants to protect. Yeah. He didn't want me to get hurt. Um, 
But uh, yeah, so I moved to New York uh, two weeks after high school to be an actor. Uh, did not, had never seen a drag show and Drag Race wasn't on TV at the time. I'm very old. It wasn't on TV yet. And um, so I, I auditioned for this show, this off-Broadway show. And in the final callback, uh, the writer and the director kind of whispered to each other. And then they were like, we have an idea. Uh, well, first the show was a BDSM version of Oliver Twist. But the, and I went in for, for Charlie Bates. And they were like, okay, we want to rewrite the character for you. Would you be comfortable if we workshopped you playing this kind of androgynous, genderqueer character? And I just needed a job. Uh, so I was like, whatever you want. I mean, do I have the job? You know, like when you're a 19 year old actor and you're like, just give, give me the gig, you know? So we did this show and I had so much fun playing dress up like I did when I was a kid. Uh, and I just had so much fun creating this character. And so I would go see Peppermint, uh, her show and, and, Sherry Vine, Shaquita and Bianca and all these, you know, legendary queens. So it just kind of like happened. And then I threw a birthday party, which was my first drag show that I did at this bar. And I called some friends of mine. It was Lily Cooper and Frankie mm. James Grande and Matt Doyle. I called them. I said, can you, can you perform at my birthday party with me? And, <laughs> and they're like, yeah, let's do it. And and the bar owner afterwards is like, oh, you're really funny. Do you want to have a weekly show? And I got a weekly show. And it like does not happen like that today. This was like 15 years ago, 14 or 15 years ago. And it does not happen like that today. It was very much accidental. And then it just kind of went from there. And I've been a full-time drag queen ever since. I was in the right place at the right time, very fortunate. But then, you know, because of drag, uh, to, to tie into your next you know, question, because of drag, you know, I, I always, like, I came out when I was 14 and my only reference to queer culture was Will and Grace. That was like the thing at the time. Everybody said, oh, you're just like Jack. And I was like, oh, okay, well, I'll play that up because in high school, when I came out, all the girls wanted like the gay best friend and their mm -hmm. boyfriends stopped making fun of me because their girlfriends were friends with me. And then I had a very nice high school experience because I played up being like Jack on Will and Grace. Mm -hmm. It was my, it was my safety you know, mm -hmm. from getting picked on in a way. But when I came out, I still felt that like, well, I felt like the relief that I was out of the closet, but there was still something that wasn't lining up, if that makes sense. I didn't have the language to uh, to know what that was. And so through drag, like I, 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 you know, started becoming more comfortable with who I am as a person. And, you know, as you get older, you learn new things about yourself and and then our society and our language evolved and so when I was around like 30 I'm, I'm I'm almost 35 now and so when I was around 30 I was like oh that missing thing that I've been feeling since I was 14 that missing thing I was like I I'm not like a male but I'm not a female mm -hmm. what is that you know and and our language had adapted to to non-binary and mm -hmm. gender queer. And I was like, oh, that's, that's it, you know? And, and so it's interesting when you're in drag because, you know, I use they, them pronouns. And so people are always like, oh, do I, can I, do I call you she in drag or not? Or what, like, what are the, what are the rules? And, and I think the rules are different for everyone, you know, like, like for me, I'm like, oh, you can call me she in drag. That's fine. I'm in drag. It's, you know, okay. I'm not going to be like upset. Um, uh, but I think it's different for everyone, you know? Mm -hmm. and, and so when you say drag queen, like I say, I'm a drag queen. Uh, mm -hmm. But I also, when I talk about drag, I try to umbrella it and say drag artist, because mm -hmm. if I'm talking about someone else, they may not claim to, to be, be a called drag. queen. Right. Yeah. Identify yeah. themselves in that way. Yeah. yeah. And there's drag kings and there, you know, and so I try to, I try to just broaden it and say, oh, drag artists to kind of be inclusive of like everyone that falls into that. Well, it's funny because we were saying yesterday, I said, it's so hard for me because they seems plural. So it doesn't naturally come out of my mouth. So if I were saying they did this at in my mind, it seems plural. And so she said, think of it as Marty comes to your house and leaves sunglasses behind. And you would say, oh, they left their sunglasses. And for some reason that 
kind of cleared it up in my mind. And it was so much easier for me to incorporate it into language just from that simple shift in thinking. Cause for yeah. me, it's like, I'll call you whatever you want me to call you, but it's just doesn't come off my tongue. <laughs> I always say to people like exactly what you're, you're saying. You, you can say, Oh, they, they, um, are driving down the street, you yeah. know, like it's, yeah. it's, we use it all the time. Grammatically, we yes. do use it all the exactly. time. And now it's just retraining. I, I would like to believe most people aren't trying to be disrespectful yeah. or belittling, at least those of us that look at each other and can see the humanity in each other, right? And we have proximity and understanding and empathy. Um, so it's just retraining our old lady lips yeah. to make sure that we are being inclusive and respectful and that a new, it's not a new language, but it's a new understanding of the language. And I'm very, very blessed that I have young, but dear friends who will whisper in my ear and say things like, you're being a little granny right now. <laughs> I'm not trying to be granny. Teach me, teach me a wise one, teach me. And then she'll pull me aside. And she's like, I know that's not your heart. Listen, don't try to respond in this moment. Just freaking listen. Change yeah. makes people very uncomfortable. People would rather that stay is, with yes. what they know, even if it's not good for them, just so long as they don't have to change anything about themselves or the way they see the world. And and that's that's too bad, you know? But that, that's but gross. That's, that is growth. That's I mean, what's yeah. that's what's happening all around us now. I think we as people, like I, I don't like change in my no. life. No. You know? So when you have like a broad like societal change, it takes time. Yes. And like you said, like it takes education and patience and the willingness to learn. But but it's so interesting. Like I I, I feel like you know, like I said, like it, it took me till I was 30 to find that missing link because we didn't have the like we didn't have the the language for it, but like genderqueer and non-binary and trans people have always been a part of, uh, the world, of course. Mm -hmm. And there wasn't always the language for it, but we look at, if we look at a lot of societies before the kind of Judeo-Christian like mm -hmm. realm of what the world has become, a lot of societies celebrate it, trans yes. mm -hmm. and non-binary and genderqueer mm -hmm. people. Yep. It was such a part of the culture. It's so true. I lived in Tahiti for a year right after college. Okay. So this was, I'm 20 years older than you. So this was in the late eighties. Okay. Or the early nineties I was there. So in college, I don't know if I had ever been to a drag show, but I had certainly been to gay bars and performed in gay bars and it was no big deal. But when I landed in Tahiti, there are three genders, your male, your female, or your mahu. And mahu present as females. They dress as female. I was shocked. I thought, oh my goodness, because in my worldview, it had only been relegated to certain shows or uh, bars or, you know, you didn't, you didn't see people walking down the street. So I learned a little more about it and it's considered like a privilege. You're, you're, you're not accepted by the community, you're revered. So they're mm -hmm. given the most important responsibilities, which is taking care of children and, el and elders. And this is all, of course, before colonialism stepped in. Mm -hmm. But in the, in the earlier times, I mean, it's documented as early as the 1700s that people, there were mahus in the culture. If a young boy wanted to be in the dances and prepare the food instead of go hunting, they would say, oh, wonderful. And if a young girl wanted to go hunting instead of prepare the food, they're, oh, great, a mahu. And they would, and so it's just considered very, very welcomed as a third gender in the, in the culture. It's and it's still so prevalent. Peaceful. Like it's so peaceful and lovely. It sounds so peaceful. Yeah. That's yeah. amazing. If only more, if more people, you know, live that way now, but it's, 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 you know, like you said, it's colonialism, you know, this like kind of extreme right wing movement that we're seeing, they all justify it in kind of the same way the Crusades justified it, right? Mm -hmm. By saying, we're, we're doing this in the name of God, you know, we're, we're condoning violence in the name of God. I don't know. I just get so baffled that you can take the teachings of someone who so profoundly professed loving marginalized mm -hmm. people and, and the people who live on the fringes of society and then weaponize that against them. It just doesn't make any sense to me. Are you going to continue to try to enter political office and try to make some changes that way? 
Oh, the million dollar question everyone always asks me. Well, uh, well, we need you. (laughs) Yes. But we also know how expensive and exhausting. And, you know, it takes that is more than a full time job running a campaign. Running for office is a full time job. And it's so interesting. Like the election happened. uh, And then, like, two or three weeks after the election, I got a call from Food Network to come film something. And so I, I did that for five weeks and that was a big distraction. And, and then it got to, so my election was in June and then it got to be like December. <laughs> and I finally had some time to like breathe. And I was like, oh, I never mourned that process mm. and what it was to run a very high profile campaign. Most city council races don't get a lot attention. Well, you uh, would have been the first non-binary yeah. member, and, right? And city council a, member. Yeah. Being a drag artist and, and the first non-binary person to run uh, gave it a lot of attention, which I'm grateful for because we were able to talk about so many of the issues impacting our, our city, which was, you know, I, I was happy for the attention because we were able to really address the issues. And I knew in that, um, even if we didn't win, it was important to have those conversations because it would help push whoever did win to hopefully enact some of the proposals that we were putting out there. But like when December came and I had this moment where I was just like, that was kind of traumatic, like running from was a little yeah. traumatic. Uh, and so, so AOC like reached out to me and, uh, cause I, I did a post about it and, and she was like, after the campaign, everybody just kind of like your whole, like you no longer have a team of people kind of like guiding you phone's not ringing all the time. It's like, and it's very like everything that you've done just kind of like disappears. Falls away. It just like stops. And then you have to figure out how do I stay present and show up for myself? And how do I stay present and be of service to others and continue to do the work? And so that's been like such a big lesson and like, okay, we didn't win that's okay. There was a lot of wins within our campaign. For we had sure. an entirely queer staff. Almost everyone on it was non-binary. We were able to push for legislation that we believed in and engage in voters. But then it was like, okay, now how do I like shift gears as not a campaign and someone running and being an advocate, you know, uh, like I had been before and like switching back to that. And that's, that's been a really kind of fun transition. Like since I went through that like depression in December, but I needed to take that time to like get through that and then be like, okay, let's show up. I will do it again, but I don't think like now, you know, like there there needs to be some space between it. At 35, there is a long path (laughs) in front of you. Can I ask, you're sitting in Texas now. (laughs) And truly, (laughs) yes, that's what I I want to address. I want to, if you feel comfortable, speak to how you walk through the world and how I can only imagine there is, not always, but a safety in New York City. Then you put someone like Marty Gould Cummings in Texas. Mm -hmm. How How does your... Really? How do your molecules shift? Do right. you feel comfortable? Yeah. Well, thankfully I'm in Austin, which is a very progressive. Okay. Keep it weird. Keep it weird. Yeah. yeah. Th- thankfully I'm in Austin. So it's a little different here, but I walked, you know, up to the state Capitol yesterday, uh, in drag. And I saw this woman there with her friends and she had, um, like a sports bra on with her pregnant belly out and on her stomach was written pregnant, but pro-choice. And I was like, yes, you know, and so there are people in these states that are progressive. And I had a great conversation. Actually, I did a show last night uh, here in Austin and um, this wonderful guy came up to me after the show and was like, oh, I, I followed your political career and, and just uh, like, thank you, whatever, you know, and, and uh, he was talking about how him and his partner live in Texas and they're very scared because the attorney general here just said that they would enforce if the Supreme Court goes through it this, which I hope they don't, but Texas is government would enforce like old sodomy laws and which is just, they'd enter our private lives in our bedrooms. And yeah. Which is crazy. And so they were talking about how they're very scared and they're looking to move to California. And, uh, and I said to this guy, I said, you know, California is beautiful. It would be great if you live there. And I was like, but we also have to fight 
where we are. And we had this really great conversation about how, like, you know, if you have the means to move, you can. But there's so many queer people in these states who don't have the financial right. uh, means to to there are no options. Yeah. yeah. And so I think it's really important that we we stay in, in, you know, if you live here, stay here and fight. We're living in a very scary time. I feel like our democracy is like crumbling into fascism very, very rapidly. Uh, but I also believe that this country has the capability of greatness. And the way to achieve that is us like-minded people who are anti-racist, who are you know, in support of reproductive justice and health, who are in support of queer liberation and making sure immigrants are truly welcome to, you know, we have to stay where we are to, to fight for these, these, these kids in Texas and Florida and Alabama and Mississippi. So when I'm in play, like I just performed in Florida last week also, and I'm like, oh, okay, I'm doing Florida and Texas. I'm, I'm, I'm really hitting them hard, you know? <laughs> uh, but it, I, I got on the microphone last night and did my speech about, you know, all these issues. And, and I did a show once. Uh, this is, okay, so this to, to your point. I did a show in Panama City Beach, Florida, when Trump was running for office. And he had a rally in Panama City Beach the same weekend I was in town performing. And I was like, oh my gosh. Did so you get I, a photo op? Did you get oh a my. photo op, Marty? <laughs> uh, I, so I was like, okay, all like the liberals are going to come to my show and we're just going to pow up. But there's a lot of queer people who are on that Trump train. And so I had an audience of like gay Trumpers. And I was like, oh my God, this is kind of scary. But <laughs> I don't like, understand yeah. how that's, I mean, it's, it's like yeah. a duality. You'd be voting against your own interest. But that's what we need to embrace. Well, I don't know how we embrace it, but that's what we need to recognize and what this country is lauded to be. I don't understand you, but I still have to respect your life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. But and how can you support that? But how can you support that political view and be open to embracing others because that political view is not open to embracing. But there are so many vulnerable and marginalized communities that have been voting against their own uh, benefits and issues. It is always based on you only know what you know. And that's why I keep saying proximity, open-mindedness, constant learning, your views will change. I always get so prickly when we look at politicians and we say, oh, they've changed their views. I want to applaud that. Yes, they have, because there has been time, there's been experience, there have been learning, there have been personal interactions. Either they're really changing or they're placating and and it's hard to know. I I love that you brought that up because we as human beings should be given the grace to evolve and learn. So when people uh, say, oh, well, this politician did this all those years ago, if they're still doing that today, that bad stuff today, then yes, I'm going to be like, you're a shit, you know, <laughs> like get it together. If a politician, you know, 30 years ago did something and then today was like, you know what, you're right. I had the hard conversations. I've heard what you're saying. I've digested it. And I've learned from it. And when you know better, you do better. Mm -hmm. And now we'll legislate in this way. That's a win. The key to recognizing whether it's true growth and true change is if they're taking personal responsibility. If you're taking personal responsibility for the actions or the words that you said at one point and say, now I see and know and we'll do better. That's different, I think, than just a politician flip flopping because yeah. it's what the it's what they're they're who's going to vote for them, you know? Right, where the money's coming from. Yeah. Sure, right. Yeah. Who's exactly what big corporation is funding them? Do you feel that there is an empowerment that comes with being in drag? That there is a different voice that comes out from you a different freedom you can articulate yourself in a different way yeah I mean I think my drag is very I used to try to separate them a lot but I think my drag is so connected to my being now uh and I think since I've entered like the political activism world 
I very much recognize that if I'm in drag at a rally in Times Square with Gays Against Guns, for example, who I love and, and do a lot of work with them, if I have the megaphone in Times Square in drag, it's going to be not just the people who are there for the rally that are going to look and listen, but because I'm in drag, all those other people in Times Square are going to be like, what are they talking about? When you're in drag, people are going to look at whether they agree with what you're saying or not. They're going to like, look, they're going to stop and pay attention. Yeah. And pay attention. So like, so, so for example, like the other day when I did that Times Square event and I did your, your, um, lip sync, uh, we were also there with the Ali Fournay center talking about housing for, for trans youth and, and that importance. And then I looked out and I was like, oh my gosh, everybody here is not from New York. Uh, <laughs> they're all tourists. And it was like that kind of moment uh, of like empowerment where on the microphone, I was like, I'm going to go off script for a minute. And I was like, how many people here are not from New York? And they all like, like all these people in Times Square, there's so many people. And I said, well, I want you to know that reproductive healthcare is healthcare and that trans people are human beings who deserve dignity and grace. And it was that moment where I was like, I'm in drag. So they're all watching me do this great Stephanie J block mix. Uh, so I've captured them with that and they're looking and they're paying attention. Maybe just maybe one person in that crowd. And if it's just one person boom, we did it. And then that one person, maybe they'll go to lunch with their friend and talk about it and ask questions. And then that friend goes and- It's just um, a tiny paradigm shift in the way someone sees the world. And that's all it takes to to have a ripple effect all around. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I want to ask you a question because I know some drag artists don't always go for glamour. They go for heightened or camp or, but you love glamour. So what do you need to feel beautiful? First of all, do you rent the wigs? Do you own the wigs? How big is your apartment? Uh, Do you rent the runway? Like literally every time you go out, it is a completely different look and it can be from a different decade, but it's always based in, in glamour, right? Oh, that's very, that's very kind. Uh, I, uh, I do like, if I have a big event, I like to dress up more than if I'm just like joining a show at the, the bar or whatever. Um, my friend Tyler, uh, who actually works for Ali Fournay Center, uh, and was on Project Runway. He makes a lot of my dresses for like oh. events. And then my wigs, my friend Acacia does my wigs for me. Uh, her wig company is Forgotten Locks. Uh, and I have my drag room at home which is nice to have. But yeah, Tyler is a, Tyler's amazing. I remember when I did, um, so I'm like the biggest Princess Diana fan ever since I was a kid. I'm obsessed with her. Like I, wow. I wrote my fifth grade paper on, on her. Like I love, I always loved her. So when I was invited to the Diana, which I don't care what anybody says, it was a great musical. Uh, when I was invited to the Diana uh, Broadway show, all the haters could sit down. It was great. Uh, so I, I got invited to the, the red carpet and I called Tyler and I was like, I need the revenge dress. You have to make me the revenge <laughs> dress. You know what I'm talking about? The, the Yes, yeah. We had Joe DiPietro on the show. He yes. came to talk to yes it was, I think it was Armani and she wore it the <laughs> night that Charles did his sit down interview where he admitted to having an affair with Camilla and it was her kind of like nephew <laughs> dress because yeah. she knew she was going to be photographed and she looked stunning. And I yes. said, I need the revenge dress. And he whipped it up for me in a day. Oh. Uh, <laughs> And, and I wear it all the time now. I'm like, I've got Diana's revenge dress. <laughs> so he's, he's amazing. And he makes a lot of my stuff for me. And I, and I always feel when I wear his stuff, I feel like a million bucks. Who was your cousin? Sophie? Was it your cousin's name? Sophie. Sophie? My cousin Sophie. She's so jealous. <laughs> jealous. She is. She jealous. is. Um, but, it's, but, but you know what I love about it? And this is what I love about drag. When I'm like in that and I'm twirling on that like red carpet or stage or wherever I am and the dress is like, it's those feelings of like when I was a little kid and I would pull these outfits out of Sophie's bag and and put them on. It's like all those feelings of like, just like- The freedom to express that little kid. Yeah, that's right. Freedom now to like be the thing that that little kid wanted to be. I think we're just, we're born- we are so born who we are, like with the things that we love so inside of us. And I think as kids, they tried, kids try to express it and society and parents out of worry or fear or trying to shape them, 
kind of squish it down and mm. it, the lucky ones find it again as adults mm-hmm. and get to just like be free. I was listening to a podcast that was talking about really the spirit and how we always mention it after death. Where does the spirit go? What happens? Is there a heaven? Is there a hell? Is there a transfer of energies? But we very rarely speak to that spirit. That's before they're born. Mm-hmm. And that is, it's in existence mm-hmm. and it's in, it's in there. And I have, the mother has nothing to do with it. The father has nothing to do with it. It is this loud mm-hmm. something that we can't explain, a non-tangible we can't explain that is fully formed when they take their first breath. Yes. And we've got to just allow that to speak yep. and they will show us who they are. The kids are exploring what is their taste. That, that's why they play with all the different toys. I remember this, this prime, prime example of this. When I was a kid, uh, I was in kindergarten and this girl, Bianca, I'll never forget her name because she did this to me. Uh, Bianca, uh, I hope she's listening. Bianca um, the bitch. I have a feeling this is a Bianca's a bitch story. Bianca the bitch. Uh, yeah. We were five mm-hmm. years old mm-hmm. and um, I was playing with the kitchen set, which whatever, who cares? And she went up to Mrs. Bud, my teacher, and was like, Marty's playing with the kitchen set and they're not a girl. And so they shouldn't be playing with this little five-year-old. And I was told by Mrs. Bud, I wasn't allowed to play with the kitchen set because that's what girls played with. And my mom got very upset when I told her. Oh, good. Yes, mom. And marched right in there and was like, this is ridiculous, you know? And my mom and I actually talked about this story recently. And we were talking, my brother is is a chef. Are you going to like little Bobby Flay when he is a kid tell him he can't play with the kitchen set because he likes that? Like it's yeah. that, that we're stereotyping kitchen. The kitchen is for a woman. Right. If you limit it to that, the Bobby Flays of the world maybe yeah, never would get to explore that when they're a kid to say, oh, I, this, I like this. And then tap into that creative side. Oh, how are we going to change it all? How are we going to do it? We just got to do it one kid at a time, one, one experience at a time. One conversation one at conversation a time. One conversation at a time. That's right. And yes. you just and hope you shift someone's perspective. And the conversations are going to be uncomfortable. And that's okay. Like, sit in the discomfort for a little bit. That's okay. If you're able to have that connection with one person to get them to, to open their their mind and heart and perspective to the world a little bit more, that's going to get them starting asking questions. And that's going to get them talking to other people, you know? And you have to remember, you don't always see the outcome of these interactions. Sometimes these interactions are just little ripples that, Mm -hmm. you know, that go down the line and you never know the changes that you've made, you know, in someone else's life or a life that they touched, you know? Right. Planting the garden. It's important just to start planting the garden. Yeah. Yeah. And now our five questions. If you were a pizza, are you thin crust, thick crust, Chicago style? And what are your toppings? Chicago deep dish, extra cheese with jalapenos. Whoa, new, not wow. a thought. They uh-huh. knew this answer right away. Listen, I'm a New Yorker through and through, but Chicago pizza is the best. Oh, it's a full hearty meal. I don't meal. know deep dish. I just can't do the deep dish. It's oh, like a casserole. Oh, it's like an Italian yeah, I like the, the New York, you know. Mm-hmm. Okay, fold it in half, make it a Sammy. I mean, I do, I do love a 99 cent slice on the, the street of New York, but a deep dish like sitting down with a, oh, it's so good. Jalapeno, jalapeno. All right. I put jalapenos on everything, just to be fair. Oh, wow. Everything. You, If you could go back and talk to your teenage, 20-year-old self, what do you tell them? Just breathe. Mm. Just breathe. It's just for now. If we yeah. were to enter your closet, is there one piece of clothing, a wig, a garment that you will never be rid of because of the memories it holds? Um, I'll never get rid of my revenge dress <laughs> um, because I love it so much. And I'll never get rid of what I wore to my, uh, wedding. Oh, beautiful. Okay. You could wake up tomorrow morning with any ability or superpower. What is it? Change the Supreme court. Uh, <sighs> change or expand. You want a completely clean house, clean house, expand clean house. it and clean house. Okay. Yeah. If you were a nail polish color, what's the name of that? Oh, what's the color? 
And what's the cheeky little name of that color? Um, oh my gosh. Uh, like a dark purplish plum that's almost black, but it's not. Oh, I don't know what I would call it. Um, oh, I don't know what I would call it. I don't know. <laughs> Egg plant your seeds. Egg. <laughs> <laughs> sure, sure. <laughs> Marty, thank you so much for coming on and planting your garden with us. Thank you for your time. Thank you for saying yes. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you. So, I, I also, this is so embarrassing. I was thinking, you know that it's, um, I think I put this on Instagram during the pandemic. If you do the Stephanie J. Block Tony speech twice through, that is the amount of time you need to wash your hands to have clean <laughs> to hands. To get rid of the germs. Oh, that's hysterical. Yes. Saving lives, people. You heard it here. <laughs> Oh, I always feel bad when people tag in because I'm like, oh my gosh, you're probably so tired of seeing me do this number. But oh, it just brings God. me so much joy because I think your speech was so heartfelt and so beautiful. And like, I just think it resonates with so many people. Like, Thank you. Yeah. I'm honored. I really am honored. Thank you. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you both. Thank you both so much for having me today. Thank you. Can I, uh, my mind, just a pop question just popped into my mind. Can I just ask you one more thing? Yeah. How did your chef brother feel about you going on as a contest as the worst cook in America? Well, it's because of Bianca that he's not a good chef, but they're not a good chef. I'm the worst in the kitchen. And I think he (laughs) felt uh, happy that I was finally... (laughs) outed for that? Yes. I think he <laughs> found joy in that. But I tell you, I make an incredible macaroni and cheese, deep, like deep dish casserole macaroni and cheese now. Like how many cheeses? How many cheeses do you oh, use? Four. Lots of breadcrumbs, <laughs> lots of I put jalapenos in it. It's so good. Coming up next, what struck a chord with us right after this break? Y'all. Stages is now sponsored by BetterHelp, and I couldn't be more excited because I love therapy. So I encourage you, if you've had a tough year and a half, (laughs) why don't you give them a shot? You can find a therapist that you can connect with. Their resource is thousands of therapists, well-trained and experienced. You can keep looking until you find someone that you click with. They have customized online therapy. They do offer videos, but they also offer phone and live chat sessions. So you don't even have to be seen. You can only be heard. What are you waiting for? Go to BetterHelp. That's H-E-L-P.com slash stages. And for our cast members, you get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash stages. Go, go, go. Go find your healing. Go find your happy. Stages podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. That's H-E-L-P. So very special. And when I say (laughs) zest for life and energy in my intro. Yeah, they're just lovely. Lovely. What a a really thoughtful and forgiving and Mm. open human being, right? Just willing to allow others flaws and allow others growth with patience and kindness. And it just oozes out of them. And, and it's just beautiful. It really is. And when I see that they want to do so much good and they are using their art form to do good, I am always um, not envious, but striving to do that. You know, when you can bring your art form and elevate it to a place where it is changing people's lives or mental space, emotional space, that's always the goal. I don't know if that was always necessarily my goal. I Mm -hmm. I kind of found myself since I was raised on the MGM musical much more about, you know, transport me somewhere. Just Mm -hmm. let me escape for two and a half hours. Mm -hmm. Um, But now in my life, I look at people like Marty and say, I think it's time to amplify. I think it's time to use the art form and whether that is a play or a musical or your own solo show to still bring right. enjoyment and joy, right. but to get plant people that to seed. Think. Get people yeah. to think. think like Christina bit. Wong does, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. She does it brilliantly as well. You know, thinking about that Polynesian culture with the Mahu, um, mm-hmm. um, when there's a story when... Um, uh, Gogan came to live there. They thought he was Mahu because he had long hair and he dressed really flamboyant and bright colors. And they assumed that that's he was Mahu. 
Wow. So I wish that we, I wish that our culture was more like that. Like why, you know, why, why does it have to be so black and white? We think of our founding fathers, high heels, flouncy pants, padded wigs. Like we're not looking that far back. That's These really were the true. leaders of our nation dressed more effeminate. It, it, they would be, if we're going to bring it up with the conservative, religious, fanatical, right? They would be beat up. You'd be beating up our founding fathers. Sure, that's really true. I never even thought of that. What in the world? No. So it really is just recognizing as we keep, uh, I don't want to say preaching, but it is, it's just going past and seeing the humanity in people and trying to recognize yourself in their plight, Mm -hmm. in their day, in their. Yeah. Just in the way they said, the way way you move through the world should be with others in mind always, right? It's not just about you and your experience. It's about the experience that you offer to others. Right. And And having that word others as a unifying word, not a, I'm putting you over there. We are, we are nothing alike. That is not the truth. That is not the truth. I don't know what evil is trying to creep in to create such a large divide that keeps getting more and more vast. But that to me is the evil that exists, trying to be so divisive. It's exhausting. It is. Troubling. It is. Frightening. What, what the, the, the view. And we don't have to necessarily like each other. We don't, but I just, I hope that within myself, and others. We can keep coming back to the table with a new breath and hopefully a new perspective and just wanting to listen as opposed to always knee-jerk reaction, knee-jerk reaction. And, and being so that, threatened by the by an opposing thought. Right. It's an opposing thought. It's not right. a threat. It's not going to kill you. It's just a different- And it's not taking away from you. No, you can still believe whatever you want to believe. It's anyway, anyway. Anyway, I was, I was, as I mentioned, taught and inspired by them. And um, I'm always just so grateful, especially when you hear about uh, people's schedules, like their schedule sounded insane and getting three hours of sleep and still showing up and and wanting to connect in this way. And with a Uh, great attitude and a big smile and so happy to be talking right. to us. That's I'd right. Be miserable if I had to show up to this with three hours sleep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There was no canceling. There was no last minute no. phone call canceling because they were up so late last night. So I am grateful. Well, and what's funny once is again, they texted me at early in the morning, probably like eight o'clock asking for the zoom link. So they were up early. They're up or really they were just getting to bed. Oh, that could be it too. Right. It too. Yeah. Right. Oh. <laughs> you know what, Marilyn? Right, my friend. I, I love, love you. you. I love, I you, love too. you too. I love that we get to do our show and talk to cool people like them. Me too. All right, girl. Have a great day. You too. So if this episode resonated with you, please follow, subscribe, and share. You can always find us at stagespodcast.net. A big thank you goes out to our assistant and doer of all things technical, Saren Cho. Thank you to Noah Kaiserman and Garrett Healy for our beautiful original music. Melanie Von Trapp for our Stages Podcast logo. Brock Grenfeld, our sound engineer. And Allison Arns, our PR and social media expert. And thank you, our cast members, for joining us today. We hope you come back next week.